You're listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Hoosier State Sports Show. My name is Joey. As always, I'm joined by my friend Adam. How's it going, man? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be not sick anymore. Yeah, I'm sure that's a relief. Yeah. Of course, you get to enjoy a couple weeks off here. I'm off this week. It's just a good week all around, man. Yes, it is. All right, that being said, you want to let us know what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so for for today's episode, we're going to talk about the status of the Colts quarterback situation, IU and Purdue's future outlook, and the Pacers' quiet hopes of a play-in tournament appearance. So, Joey, what you got for us on the Colts to start this week? Yeah, busy episode. We're going to dive right in here. So as you mentioned, we're going to talk about the quarterback situation. So I'm going to lay out a few different options and we'll discuss each one individually. So obviously we haven't really talked about it much with college basketball being at you know the tournament, but obviously with the Panthers picking at one and the Texans picking at two, it's pretty safe to assume that both Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud will be off the table when it comes to the Colts pick at four. So this meet leaves the most likely options if the Colts were to take a quarterback, which we'll get into that more in a minute, is either Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. So my question's simple, Adam. Do you have a preference between these two and why or why not? Well, I like I like both for their own options. And I'm gonna start with Will Levis, a name that I haven't really talked about too much on here. In the last couple of weeks, it's been reported that he's been working on his throwing mechanics with Peyton Manning. And I think, you know, as a Colts fan, that looms big. You know, anytime you hear the famous man's name, <clears throat> you start thinking about, okay, maybe there'll be some bias for us. <clears throat> I apologize for my voice. Maybe I'm not as over being sick as I thought. But on the other hand, with Anthony Richardson, you know, there's the whole idea of potential. There's been reports of him working out with fellow courts, fellow Colts quarterback Gardner Minshew. So again, each one working out with someone that is somewhat related to the team. So if I'm looking at a talent base between those two, though, I, I say go for the risk and go for Anthony Richardson. You know, he has those Jalen Hurts mechanics that we've talked about in terms of comparisons started out or starts off as a little bit raw. Hopefully with good coaching from Steichen, he can be developed. What about you? I'm going to say I agree with you, but I do want to throw in one more thing about there. You mentioned the fact that Will Levis was working with Peyton Manning and what that can do to Colts fans. But we we talked about it previously, you know, what Peyton Manning means to a guy like Jim Ursay. So the fact that he's working with someone like Will Levis, I think, could go a long way in his eyes. But I do agree with you. I'd prefer Anthony Richardson in this scenario. I mean, you see people talking about the the floor and the ceiling all the time. While Anthony Richardson does have a lower floor than Will Levis, I think we can agree on that. Anthony Richards' ceiling is also at least double as high of that of Will Levis. And for that reason, if I'm going to take a chance on either one of these, it's going to be Richardson. And not to pat myself on the back, I said this even before the breakout combine for Anthony Richardson. So I'm just going to stand pat with what I said there. Give me Anthony Richardson if this was the route they were to take. Obviously, there's another option with that number four draft pick, and that's draft the best available, whether that's a quarterback or not. You know, maybe a guy like Will Anderson, if someone trades up with the Cardinals and takes another quarterback, or trade back. And, of course, if they did this and were to still draft a quarterback, you'd be looking at a guy like Hendon Hooker in the second round. Adam, 
How would you feel if the Colts traded back or took best available and tried to address the quarterback later in the draft? To be completely honest, trading back is my preferred option. I've, I've sat and thought about this long enough. I know Colts ownership has talked about, you know, they don't think there's a big difference between those four quarterbacks. So my thought is if a treat, if a team really wants to trade up and draft one of those four, let them do it. But I know the question that's not being answered yet is what is the drop off to hooker? And we talked about his statistics a couple weeks ago, only through two interceptions to 25 touchdowns before his injury had a per- passing percent, I believe almost at 70%. If I'm the Colts ownership, I am trying to acquire as much talent as possible. And with free agency, which we'll talk about here in a couple minutes and what the Colts have done thus far, the biggest problem I have is you have not addressed hardly anything that you need to on the offensive side of the ball. And you still have the cornerback depth need that you have, or that we've talked about previously as well. So, Will Anderson, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I know he's like, by some, he's called a consensus, you know, best defensive player. I know Mel Kuyper came out and kind of tooted his horn about how he's great, but he's not a generational talent in the last couple of days. Again, I I do believe that this team needs talent in the worst way. I believe trading back is the best way to get it. And I know there's a lot of solid second round quarterback options this year the Colts have been looking at a quarterback from BYU they've looked at one other one I cannot think of his name right now but I know there's been some also mocked reports I mentioned previously with Aiden McConnell out of Purdue coming to us for me I think it's as simple as you get the talent for the team that you need at all costs I don't think that having the quarterback at the fourth spot right now is the best use of that. I'll, I'll agree and I'll disagree in a way because I do like Hendon Hooker, but much like everyone else, my biggest drawback is he's coming off of that torn ACL and he's 25 years old. So it kind of makes you wonder what you're going to be getting from him. You know, is he going to be ready to start the season? If so, how far will his development be behind? If it's me and I am drafting a quarterback, I still think I would take one at four, especially if the Cardinals stay put and take a guy like Will Anderson, then you have really have your pick between Levis and Anthony Richardson. Now, one way I would not stay put is, as I mentioned before, if someone makes that trade up with the Cardinals and takes a quarterback, and then we get who's left, and unless that's the guy that you've fallen in love with, I don't think you, you should reach for a quarterback that you don't fully believe in necessarily. That being said, Adam, and I know this is where we're going to disagree based on our prior text messages and such but there's also an option where we don't draft a quarterback and still get our franchise quarterback do you want to you kind of want to let everyone know what I'm talking about here I do but I want to make one more point on the age concern you brought up with with Hendon Hooker Kurt Warner was 26 when he got into the NFL yes he was an undrafted free agent with the Packers in 94 but the simple fact that he came along later shows that you don't have to be that 21-year-old. And he had 12 solid seasons in the NFL. Just something to throw out. Again, that that is a fair point. I still think I like the ceiling of of someone like Anthony Richardson more so, but I do love Kurt Warner, and that is a fair point. (laughs) So with that being said, 
as Joey alluded to a second ago, what we are talking about with the quarterbacks is potentially signing or trading for Lamar Jackson from Baltimore. So this week, the question becomes, do we take a chance on him? So there's been reports that Lamar is already available with the non-exclusive tag. That probably doesn't come as surprise to too many fans. But the biggest thing that came out is just in the last couple of days, I don't know if it was today or yesterday. Yeah, just he, this morning. Just Okay, so it was today. He officially announced that he did request a trade from the Ravens in the early stages of March, March 2nd, if I'm being correct on that. So yeah. you've talked about Lamar Jackson making sense for the team. So Coach Steichen in his press conference talked about the ideal quarterback being someone that's accurate someone that has good decision-making skills, and someone has the ability to create. Jackson is all of that. Now, this week, Steichen was again asked about the possibility of bringing Lamar in, which was done also today, wasn't it? Yep, With the today annual owners in Arizona. Meeting. So the response that the coach gave was vague, and he did not confirm or deny any speculation. If you don't mind, Adam, this is where I gotta, I'm going to step in because this is where – I start to get excited. Mm-hmm. So as we texted earlier, which we'll get into our opinions earlier, I really, really want this to happen. That being said, I'm not going to be heartbroken if it doesn't. But Ballard was also asked at the owners meeting in Arizona, Adam, and this one was interesting to me. So once Ballard was asked, this was his response. And I quote, what I'll tell you is he's a, he's a really good player, really special player but you never know how any of this will work out. But I think any time at that position we have a chance to acquire a guy, you've got to do your work on it to see if it's doable. So I don't know about you, Adam, but to me this sounds like there's definitely some interest. I don't know at what level, but some interest from the team if they can get the terms right. But this this is he, – he doubled down, and Ballard doesn't do this very often, talk this openly, but he doubled down and said – uh, let me find it here. Anytime a special player, which he is, you have to do the work. Those those words came from Ballard. The fact that he doubled down and was this open about it kind of gets me a little bit excited. So with all that on the line, I know we disagree, so I'm going to give you a chance why you do or do not think that this is a kind of splash that the Colts should make. Well, I'm going to throw a curveball today at you, and it comes from something I said a couple weeks ago. You have always been someone that believes in the veteran-based process until this last couple of years. You want someone that's proven and talented. And I know that I've previously have been like, well, wait a minute. This goes against everything that you have talked about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you for a second about how you personally started off as being this we-need-to-rebuild person. And now with Lamar Jackson, you've kind of ridden the ship. I'll admit, I have my questions about whether he has been down playing an injury or whether he really was hurt. I have questions about why Baltimore maybe made some of the decisions they made with him. But Chris Ballard, I don't know. We had this issue last season. There was the whole rumors of Aaron Rodgers coming here. You had rumors of being big in supposedly at the start on Deshaun Watson. I don't know. Just a second, Adam. Well, I agree there were those rumors floating around. There wasn't anything as concrete as what we're getting here from the quotes from Chris Ballard. There was nothing like that as far as the Aaron Rodgers and the 
Deshaun Watson rumors went. This is pretty concrete. When you have the general manager of the team at the annual owners meeting in Arizona openly talking about Lamar Jackson, that's a little bit different to the rumors that you're referring to. That's fair. My problem, though, comes in, and I've said this before, Chris Ballard does not pull the trigger on anything unless it's really something that he honestly wants. I I talked about in my article a couple weeks ago with Lamar, if we were to bring him in, if you're bringing him in, this is basically Ballard trying to save his job. If you draft a quarterback, I think you get a chance at a do-over. If you're signing Lamar Jackson and you don't have instant success, Ballard's going to get shown the door, which I would not mind at this point because I'm tired of this. And I, I mentioned it to you earlier in our Facebook texts about how I'm very tired of these low-key free agent signings. Low-key, we don't ever try to go out and actually acquire any talent. And I'm I'm pretty upset about it. But I digress on that because it goes around the question. Again, would I like to see the team make this splash more than drafting a rookie top four? Yes. If we're not going to do that. Now, I think that helps with my potential. You trade down for draft picks, try to acquire more talent on the cheap. So that's where I said I'm going to throw a curveball your way. I would be okay with trading for him as long as it's not the two first-round picks that are being reported. Find a way to add some players, but if you're trading two first to get him, I, I have a major problem with that. And so I'll let you take over because I know you're a little more excited about this than I am. Yeah, obviously, like you said, I am a little bit more excited about this. But with that being said, I do want to say, as much as I want this to happen, I'm not going to be completely heartbroken if it doesn't. Because I do like where we set it for. I do think we can get a guy like Anthony Richardson, who in a couple years could be every bit as good as Lamar Jackson, if not better. But I want to present this to you, Adam. Shane Steichen's here. And we... You've said before your love for Jalen Hurts. Yes. Imagine Lamar Jackson in the same offense that he that Jalen Hurts was in in Philadelphia, you know, under Steichen. I think that this could be a recipe for success. Now, that just could be the, you know, the optimistic side of me, the Colts fan side of me. But I really believe that this would set the Colts ahead, whereas if you take a guy like Richardson, you're looking at two or three years down the road before – you see any kind of long-term success through that, if at all, because there's no guarantee. And on the other hand, you have Lamar Jackson, and I know I just said Hendon Hooker at 25 is a little on the old side for a rookie, but Lamar Jackson's 26 years old, and he comes with, what, five, four or five years of experience under his belt already, including a Most Valuable, most valuable Player Award. To me, when you couple the fact two. that he fits under Steichen's ideal quarterback, accuracy, decision-making, and ability to create. In the fact that he's only 26 years old and already has this much NFL experience, I just think that this is too good to pass up regardless of the price. And as far as what you're saying with Chris Bauer's job being on the line, you and I both know Jim Ursay's desire to win. If Jim Ursay sees this at all as something that will help the team win, and if this gets Shane Steichen's backing, which I could see it happening, then I believe that if this move isn't made, that could say more about Chris Ballard's job than it would drafting a guy like Levis or Richardson and it not panning out. I don't, I don't disagree with that, but here's my big problem. 
we we had these types of decisions get made last year with the trade where Ballard said, oh, we want someone that can run the quarterback position. So what do they do? Bring in a former NFL MVP, Matt Ryan, thinking that he will solve the league's problems. Yeah, Adam, you're, you're still missing a huge point there. This is not a Matt Ryan. This is not a Carson Wentz. This is not a Phillip Rivers. This is a 26-year-old quarterback with an MVP under his belt who is just now entering his prime, and he fits right into what Shane Steichen looks to do on offense. So I don't think it's fair to compare this to a move like a Matt Ryan trade. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw two things in there. I have two questions to ask. If you're trading for Lamar, why bring in Gardner Minshew? Fine, veteran backup on a cheap deal. Really doesn't do anything a whole di- lot different than let's say you know Sam Ellinger. So you're you're wasting money in places where we could have signed people. Which okay, I can I very... respond to that one before you get to your second question? Not yet. I'll let you respond in a second because this other part comes in play too. And it comes down to what you've talked about. I've seen too many games where Lamar Jackson, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him a reverse Russell Wilson. He will games and play really well up until about the last quarter, and then he breaks down. He has to rely on scrambling with his legs to be successful. I don't know very much about his throwing, but I remember the concerns coming out of Louisville about it. I don't think he's ever had a four thousand yard season in the NFL. If I'm wrong then again, I'll apologize, but he has done nothing to prove that he can handle being an NFL quarterback with both throwing and running. The running part, I don't think there's any debate about. I don't care about the MVP. I'm just going to throw it out there. Has he won a Super Bowl? No. He has not proven anything to me other than the fact that it could almost be like RG3 where he could run. There's been the injury concerns. I'd rather have the fresh start personally than trade for Lamar. I've made that known. But all of that to be said, too, I understand the appeal. But the other part of it is, why are you going to waste $50 million potentially, and I say potentially, maybe it doesn't get that high, on him knowing you've got guys like Jonathan Taylor that you have to resign at the end of the season. You have to find a way to get Michael Pittman back. You've got to look at maybe extensions potentially next year for Zaire Franklin again. you got to get some good talent into the team. And if you're signing a quarterback like this, you know, you're taking away the potential to do it. Lamar's going to have to come and do it on our terms if he wants to. Otherwise, I'd say let him rot in Baltimore. Make him conform to us. He's his own agent. If he wants to make it happen, he will. Again, I don't want it at the cost that it's going to come at right now. Okay. And with that, I'll let you go ahead. All right. So as far as the Gardner Minshew, I don't see why that's a big deal. First off, it's $3.5 million. Second off, the main reason that he was brought here, and it would still apply if Jackson was brought here, is he's familiar with Shane Steichen's offense. He's going to be a guy that guys can come up to and ask, you know, on different terminology, whether that be a rookie quarterback or Lamar Jackson. It's just the familiar, familiarity for some reason, I had a hard time saying that word <laughs> with the system. So there's for starters. Number two, as you mentioned, he's a high-end backup, and he could come in and win you a game or two if your concern is injuries or whatever with Lamar. That's a fair point. I'll give you that. I don't remember your full thing after that. You went on some spiel about how much money it's going to cost and all that. You're right. That is a lot of money to pay a quarterback, and it will be hard to retain some of these other players. But at the end of the day, We've seen it. We've had Jonathan Taylor. We've had Michael Pittman. We've had 
Shaquille Leonard on this team? And what has it gotten us without a true franchise quarterback? A playoff appearance with Phillip Rivers where we didn't even win in the wild card game? So what good does it do to have all these supporting casts without a franchise quarterback? Again, I'm still okay with the idea of taking a chance on a guy like Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, but they are, they are not proven. And actually, those are the two of the more raw prospects in the upcoming draft. So my argument is Lamar Jackson puts us years ahead of where a Levis or a Richardson would do. And I don't want to get caught up on this because we're already 20 minutes in and we still have plenty to get to. But that's my stance on it. Again, as strongly as it sounds like I feel on it, I'm not going to be upset if we pursue Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to be upset if we don't. But to me, it's just ludicrous if you don't even entertain the idea. And that's where I can leave that. Well, it's like I also mentioned to you earlier in our conversations. If you have to trade that first round pick in this draft, do you do you still make that trade? 100%. Whatever it takes. So I'm, I want everybody to remember, this is the guy that two weeks ago did not want a veteran quarterback. And now we want a veteran quarterback. Again, just so that you don't get my words twisted here. I'm okay with either route. And I also don't see Lamar as these veteran quarterbacks we've been bringing in in the past few years. Again, he's not a Phillip Rivers. He's not a Matt Ryan. He's not a Carson Wentz. He's a 26-year-old with an MVP already under his belt that fits right into Shane Steichen's offense. With that, Adam, we really need to move on here. We've been getting hung up on this conversation. I will agree he is not a placeholder wherever he decides to play. This is not the one year, like you said. This is a younger guy, fortunately. And I will vouch for that. I like youth. Yes, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more on this topic, whether it be Lamar going somewhere else, Lamar coming here, who we draft. We have we'll have plenty of other times to discuss this, but we do have a couple updates as far as the free agency goes for the Colts, Adam. So could you tell us about that? Yeah. So this week the Colts have made two free agency signings. So we we signed Isaiah McKenzie from Buffalo. He has had a seven-year career in the NFL, but he actually came off his best season last year. I think he had around 500 receiving yards. Yeah. So not not anything spectacular, but again, right now, he seems like he will be more than likely to be a day-one starter filling in the slot position that was left void by Paris Campbell and at a cheaper price point than Campbell. I don't know McKenzie's deal yet. If you know, that might be something good. Yeah, it was... Is one year and just over a million dollars, like one point one seven million or one point seven million. It was it was dirt cheap. So I know that the question becomes: Is it a good move by the Colts? I think for depth at receiver, having a veteran presence, maybe not relying on so many rookies. I think there's nothing but good that can come from that. I don't know if he has return experience too, but he does. But with with Dolan's return. You know, that sets up, you know, those two will probably play off for a pretty big role this season. Obviously, loser probably gets delegated to kickoff returns. And so you still have Mike Strawn as depth. I think people forget this a lot of the time. And I think that this is kind of my opinion. This is his either he develops this season or he's gone from the NFL type. And you hate to be like that because the guy has so much untapped potential but again digressing on that so the other move that well, the Colts, well, real quick oh. Adam just my take I love this signing by the Colts 
I might even be a little bit higher on it than you do because, as you mentioned, I do believe that he'll be a day one starter. And to be completely honest, as kind of upset as I was that Paris Campbell left on such a cheap deal, I do believe this is a good replacement for Campbell. He's quicker than Paris Campbell. He has plenty of experience running that jet, that jet sweep with the Buffalo Bills. So I think he's I think he has the potential to be just as good, if not as if not better than Paris Campbell. And he doesn't come with that injury bug that Campbell was yeah. so emphasically known for here in Indianapolis. But I'll well, let you continue with the other signing this week. And then I have one more after that. Well, last thing I want to say on McKenzie too is, you know, I I I coined the term untapped potential with Strawn. I think McKenzie has been very underutilized in Buffalo. You know, he's had good receivers around, but I think he's had some games where he's come in and just lit it up for them in the last couple of years. So again, I do think that that potential exists. Hopefully we get to see it with us though. And not to mention, as you mentioned, the veteran presence, this is something that this wide receiver room has kind of been lacking in seasons past. So I think that's in in of itself makes this a good signing by the Colts. He's also the oldest receiver on the squad with that signing now. But moving forward, just because, like you said, we don't want to get too caught up, the other free agency signing wasn't so much of a signing, but a re-signing of defensive end Khalid Kareem. Now, this is not a guy that, you know, is going to light up the scoreboard and do anything for you. He only had one total tackle last season and 14 for his career to this point with one sack. But again, he fits into Ballard's philosophy of depth on the defensive line. And I know that they are looking at anything they can do to get that pass rush up. So to re-sign him, there's something that maybe we have not gotten to see that Chris Ballard still believes is there. So I, I wouldn't, you know, if I were to grade a signing in an article right now, I'd give it a C just because I don't know. I don't know the terms of the contract on money. I, I don't think he's probably getting more than probably what McKenzie is. But again, these low-key free agency signings, they can never really hurt you. Probably not a whole lot of risk to it. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I agree 100%. Nothing big to report on this. I don't think it's a signing that makes or breaks the roster. But I do have one more thing for you, Adam. Yep. It is time to celebrate. Do you know why? Did we sign someone good finally? No. The exact opposite. Somebody has signed one of our pending free agents. Matt Pryor has signed with the San Francisco 49ers. Good riddance, brother. Uh, It is time for a celebration. So we'll have to take out all your bubbly later from the closet. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. I'm sure he's a standout dude. I'm just glad he's not on this team anymore. But with that, Adam, we should probably get moving on to some college basketball, if that's all right with you. Yep, works for me. You go ahead and start with the IU women's team. I know they had a rough week. Yeah, so unlike either of our men's teams, the women's team actually did get to advance to play one more game, which did not end well at Assembly Hall. So IU's women's team season did come to an end with a final score of 70-68, to and I know that there was some big trash talk going on from some of the Miami women's players So hopefully, if I remember right, they ended up losing a few days ago. So bye-bye to them. I can feel a little bit better about it. But this game, you know, in typical fashion was what you'd expect from Mackenzie Holmes. We're coming back from injury. So she had 22 points and nine rebounds. And for Grace Berger's final game, 
She had 17 points, six rebounds, and six assists. Now, um, with that, I, I actually had some notes on something else, but in writing my notes, I got some good news. So I found out that Mackenzie Holmes is actually returning next year. So she's using her COVID year. And not only her, but Sarah Scalia, who is a senior and many thought would leave, is also coming back. This was just reported today in the Indianapolis Star. So bringing back two significant players. So Scalia averaged about 10 a game. Mackenzie Holmes averaged almost 23. So you lose leaders like Berger and Pat Berg the last couple of years. Do you think Mackenzie Holmes is ready to officially step up and be the leader of this team? And do you think that the women's team remains good next season? Oh, absolutely. You know, it can't be understated what Mackenzie Holmes and Scalia meant to this team. I know they were kind of overshadowed at times by people like Grace Berger, but those are huge. And then, like you mentioned, bringing in two five-star guards, I don't see any reason why this team isn't just as competitive next season. So looking at what IU will look like for next season, because we're looking at a big outlook episode here. So the women's side, they're only losing two players, which again, we were talking about Holmes and Scalia both leaving about a week ago. So you look at Grace Berger is obviously your significant player, but the only other player leaving is seldom used guard Alyssa Geary. So IU will be returning all but one starter and almost the entire team that ended the season ranked number three and basically really showed their colors now well, that for I, oh go ahead sorry i might as well say <clears throat> compare that or combine that with the fact that you know just as well as i do they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder there's yes. no way they're happy with how this season came to an end especially how strong they looked at times so i can only imagine the amount of passion that they're going to be playing with next season well, and one of the big things to look at, and people probably don't know this, but South Carolina, they're going to be losing a lot of good players. So the ability for the IU women's team to get that number one rank, I think it's there. You know, I don't have any, you know, negative quarrels about all of that in my mind. You know, I had some doubts just because I got nervous about the losses away from home. But obviously they lost to Miami at home. And at the end of the day, the women's team only lost in the grand scheme one, two regular season games away from home. So yeah. I, I think there's no concerns with that team coming back. In fact, as the preseason should go next season, they should probably be rated number one. Them, LSU, um, Iowa, who's still in the women's tournament, or maybe South Carolina, depending on what their tournament looks like. But I will like to say, just because you mentioned Iowa, I'd like to brag for a second. I did select Iowa to win in my women's bracket that I filled out. So feels pretty good to know that my championship team is still in there. And I have UConn in one of my two brackets. I had IU in one, obviously, just because. I, like I will to have say I had IU going to the final four, so they did kind of hurt me there. But but you talked earlier about the two guards that IU's bringing in. So I quickly just want to mention them. So on the women's side, they're bringing in a new point guard, Lene be a mount who grades out as a 93 and then shooting guard Jules Lamandola who grades out as a 94. So again, they had a pretty good recruiting class. Those are the only two that are in it. So given that I, you didn't lose anybody, there probably will not be any walk-ons that get added to this roster. So you're returning a very good competitive roster and you get two highly rated players out of it. 
So I think, you know, you know, everything's looking pretty good for them heading into next year. Now, we talked about Grace Berger a second ago, too, and this will kind of be our final point on the IU women's side before we move on to some IU men's basketball. But Grace Berger has actually been mentioned in recent weeks as an early first-round pick. A lot of players have, or a lot of uh, polls have her as high as number four in the WNBA draft, which is important because the Indiana Fever pick first and seventh. So there's been some drops of Berger also going down to as low as seventh. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think she's any bit deserving of those potential yeah, I think accolades? So. I, think, I think she had decent enough stats, and I'll let you share those in a minute. Maybe they don't jump off the page as some others do. But the other thing with Berger that you don't get in a lot of players is her leadership qualities. You know, when you combine that with the fact that she is a decent player, I do think she's deserving. And I'll let you kind of dive into what her stats were and what you think. Now, before she got injured early in the year, she was only averaging around nine points. So she finished the season with 12.9 points a game, 4.8 rebounds, and 5.8 assists. But again, those stats dramatically increased. She started having games where she was scoring consistently around 20. So I think teams will look at her more as the whole of what she did later in, in the year than the beginning. And again, like her commitment to trying to drive the team's season-ending effort really did a lot. I mean, we talked about huge wins against Ohio State. They had a huge win at a various point against Iowa. So you're you're talking about, you know, a team that went out and beat ranked opponents. You know, they beat Purdue. Maryland was ranked. So I think <clears throat> looking at all of that and what Berger did in those games, I will, she'll definitely be a top 10 WNBA pick and hopefully gets to have a pretty nice, solid career there for them. but Of course, it would be pretty awesome if she found her way to the fever. Yes, probably not at number one overall because Aaliyah Boston is the consensus number one player and has been for two years. And the fever badly have needed center for a couple of years. And combine that with all those nice young draft picks, hopefully that team starts to win championships again and gets back on the rise. But speaking of teams that have won championships unlike somebody's let's talk about oh, IU man. men's basketball ah uh, sorry had to get that one in there for the day you're all so, about the jabs here lately it seems like I am but it works out in my favor I gotta have something to be excited about <laughs> but anyway so as we both know IU's men's team got thrashed by Miami which is a lot worse than anything that happened to Purdue obviously other than their loss but with the tournament being over for IU, the tra transfer portal be transactions began. And this has been a huge week for IU. So I want to allude to something I didn't write down for just a minute. So a lot of coaches went to the Indiana State High School basketball game this past weekend. And one of the big things that kind of surprised me is IU sent a ton of people to this game. So while it's not transfer portal worthy, it is worthy that Flory Bedinga, who is a player as a center at Kokomo High School, where I teach at, or not Kokomo High School, he goes to Kokomo High School, but I teach in that district. Anyway, I'm pushing that aside. A lot of coaches went to see him. So John Calipari, Izzo from Michigan State, the Butler coach went to go see him. Juwan, Juwan Howard. Howard. There was a I, lot. 
there is a lot of representation. None by Matt Painter, who's surprisingly been at a lot of his events. I was pretty surprised Matt Painter was not at the state game. But it is important to know that IU sends a big group of people there and their best recruit for this upcoming season, Gabe Cups, who played with Bronny James. Again, I digress on that that little <laughs> side note. But again, there's hopefully going to be some news on that because he is a center. And the reason that that is of significance is we talked last week about center Logan Duncombe transferring. It's been reported this past week that a lot of the reasons were a coaching issue and having issues with how the coaching staff handled an injury. I want to say he had like an eye surgery or something. And so his parents were upset with how IU tried to bring him back and, or the lack therefore of bringing him back and letting him play in games. But he, we knew was transferring and then forward Nathan Childress entered the transfer portal. Now, if you don't know who that is, it's okay. Until I read it earlier, neither did I. And I'm an IU fan. But Childress walked on to IU, I guess, four years ago and only had three career points. So again, not a whole lot there. But the reason that bringing up the center, Flory Bedinga, is important and the fact that we're losing a center is IU is looking for players to also replace NBA draft prospect Trace Jackson Davis. So looking at what IU has done this week, it's been a pretty big week, like I said, so I'm going to try to dive right in here. First, an in-state prospect, Peyton Sparks from Ball State University. He is a 6'9 forward, weighs 240 pounds, and averaged 13.3 points and 8.7 rebounds in his sophomore year, meaning that he would have two years of eligibility left. So, Sparks shot for almost 60% this past season, but he was pretty poor at 52% on his free throws. Now, he was third in the country in free throw rate, so again, a lot of people would try to foul him. So again, not the type of foul shooting that you want, but hopefully in his junior season, he will improve. Well, and I'm sure that's a pretty cool moment for Sparks, you know, I'm assuming if he wound up at a school like Ball State, no offense to Ball State, then there wasn't a lot of big offers for you coming out of high school. But assuming since he's at Ball State, he's from Indiana, I can only imagine. Winchester, Indiana, yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine that this would be a dream of his to, you know, put those pinstripes on as ugly as I think they are. No offense. Mm, None taken. But anyway, I digress. So moving into some more notable players so again not a lot of in-state prospects but again we'll talk about if we think any of these are attainable for IU or not but Puff Johnson gotta love the name Puff Johnson so he's a forward out of North Carolina he comes in at 6'8 weighs 200 pounds now while Johnson is a pretty common last name do you know who he's related to who Cam Johnson of the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, wow. So, again, some NBA pedigree there. So, he played some of his best basketball as a sophomore, again, this season as well. So, again, last year in the tournament, he averaged five points a game. But this year, not nearly as good. So, I think he's transferring for more of a vital role in an offense. 
But again, he did play against IU this season because North Carolina came and faced us and we, he scored six points on free throws and had two steals. So again, nothing too bad. Well, I will say his name alone makes up for any shortcomings. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> Puff Johnson. And then you got Peyton Sparks before that. So yep. could be some interesting names coming in. Now, the next name I'm going to mention is the name I personally am the most excited about. Now, obviously, this is still a seldom heard name, but there's a lot of press on this kid. So this kid's name is Graham Ike, and he's a center coming out of Wyoming. Now, he did not play this past season due to a foot injury, which I'm not going to hold against him because a lot of players get hurt. We understand that. But he's a 6'9", 255-pound forward. He averaged 19.5 points and 9.6 rebounds during the Cowboys' 21-22 to season. Now, this is an interesting quote that came from him this week. Now, or let me say one more thing before I get to the quote. He would have three years of eligibility because he's going to get awarded a medical clearance for an extra year, yeah. medical red shirt. So this past week, he was recorded as saying, I want to be coached. That, in addition to posting touches, being developed, and being held accountable, that is what I am looking for. And I don't know about you, but I think Mike Woodson is one of the better coaches about holding players accountable. I don't know, if, I don't know how many games you watch, but he's just got that scowl when players F up. Like, he is not willing to be afraid to tell him, you F'd up on this play. Uh, and, of course, Woodson's got that experience coaching in the NBA as well. So, if it truly is – a the, the fact that he wants to come to a team that's well coached, that would be a pretty good fit for him. And again, not to mention the work that he's done with Trace Jackson Davis the, the past two years that he's coached him. Yeah. Yes, I mentioned last week that Jackson Davis was going to be talented anyway, but you still have to have coaching to develop that. And so, again, before I continue with the last two names, what, what trend do you notice so far with the names that I've mentioned? What position are they going after? It definitely think? seems like they're targeting the big men. Yes, definitely big men for sure. Now, Puff Johnson kind of measures a little lower at 6'8", 200. He's kind of got that Kevin Durant or even his brother's body frame, a bit skinnier but but lankier. So good good fit, but my problem with that is you do have a lot of players on IU's team that are already 6'8" and lighter like that. So I don't really see Johnson as well as a fit, but Graham Ike, I like the kid just from the stats. I watched some clips on him and I'm, I'm pretty sold on what this kid's going to be capable and of it, doing. It does make sense too. As you mentioned, Trace Jackson Davis is bound for the NBA. You're losing Logan Duncombe in the portal. So it's no surprise really that they are targeting these big men because it is definitely a hole that Mike Woodson needs to fill. Now, Ike himself is being recruited by over 15 different schools, and he is one of the top 10 ranked transfer portal targets in this particular year. Now, moving into the other name I would like to see IU get. So Nick Timberlake, he is a guard from Towson. Now, IU is actually doing something a little different with him, and they are going to visit him in Massachusetts. So... Again, you know, normally you want coaches or you want players to come in for visits, but IU is going after this kid in his home state. So I think that right there shows the interest in him. Now, you hear about these 
seldom known guards in terms of big schools coming in and really contributing, kind of like Miller Cobb. And so the reason I mentioned Cobb's name is Timberlake is likely looked at as his replacement. Uh, Timberlake has been contacted by the team. He told David Jenkins, or sorry, Brandon Jenkins, who also interviewed with Graham Ike, that he is looking for a highly rated program and he wants to become an impactful player and get his feet wet in March Madness. Well, not to mention, if you don't mind me stepping in for a second. Go right ahead. Not only are you looking to sure up the guard position thanks to Miller Cops' time of eligibility coming to an end, as we mentioned in weeks prior, there's no guarantee that you're going to get Jalen Hood-Shafino back. So that's another hole being left potentially in the guard position. Yes. So again, getting this kid would be big. Now, his stats for the for the Towson Tigers this past season are that he made 17.7 points a game, almost four rebounds a game. He has 45% shooting from the field, but shoots 42% from the three-point line. And that was on over 221 attempts this past season. And he's also a great free throw shooter at almost 85%. So again, it's the type of player you want to bring in. And again, if he, if his goal is to be an impactful player, he's definitely going to have that opportunity with guys like Jackson Davis and Hood Shafino leaving the team more than likely. And if IU fans are not even more sold on bringing him in, Timberlake had great numbers against higher in competition this past season. So he was 46.6% from the three-point line against top 100 rated opponents and made 55% of his two points. So again, he's got that Jalen Hood Shafino feel to him. Yeah. Again, I would love again, you know, you would love to see IU get all these players. And luckily IU would have starting roles because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered about the roster, as I mentioned in my article this past week. But I'm gonna mention two more names. Um, so you have a Florida forward named Kowalski Reeves, who's being looked at. I'm not going to really mention any stats on him because I didn't have enough time to look. But the other one that IU has visiting this week that I know of is Chris Lanham, who is a Harvard guard. Now, a lot of play- people don't know that Harvard has been a really good basketball team the last several years, winning in their conference two of the past three years. So you look at this kid. He is a 6'6 and 225-pound forward slash guard. So again, he is pretty pretty tall on that side, a bit heavier, so he has some more strength to him. So he was named a unanimous first-team All-Ivy League player this past season. And again, he had 18.8 points a game as a guard, 8.5 rebounds a game, and steal and one block, or sorry, almost two steals, and one block a game while shooting 47% from the field. And again, 30% from the three-point range. So again, pretty solid numbers all around for him. I, I like all players that we're looking at. But again, I think IU is looking at a Miller Cop replacement. You're looking at a Trace Jackson Davis replacement. You have any thoughts on that before we move on? Nope, you nailed it. I think they're really address or between these guys, they're really addressing positions of need for the team. And I'm sure that we'll know more here in the coming weeks as you know the transfer portal really starts to take shape. And hopefully we'll get news soon. But what do you got on us for Purdue this week? Yeah, so obviously the biggest elephant in the room, pun intended, 
is Zach Eady and what his future looks like with the team. So Zach Eady's quote after that heartbreaking loss against Farley Dickinson, Zach Eady had this to say, I want to come back and I want to go to war with my teammates, but at the end of the day, I have to make the decision for me. I have no idea how long my career is going to last. So that's a pretty typical, you know, remark from somebody who doesn't really know his future. I will say just in the mock drafts I've seen, he is projected as a late second round pick to undrafted in most of the mock drafts that I saw. So before I kind of get into any more, Adam, I kind of want to get what your thought is on that quote and what you think that ultimately his decision will be. I think you hit the quote right on the head with, you know, I think he does probably seem like he's undecided in terms of his future. But again, if he wants to come back, he has every ability to come back. And ultimately, if you're saying that he's rated as a second round to undrafted, which again is phenomenal in my mind that he's that low. I don't think that he's going to not want to come back. If he can be impactful in some capacity, I think he's going to do what is best for him. So does he want to make an impact or does he want the NBA contract? I think the NBA contracts will somehow be there for him when he waits in another year, but I see him coming back. And that's yeah, my and personal belief. It's unfortunate him for him. Because as I've said before, if this was 15, 20 years ago, he's a lottery pick, but the NBA just not just does not value this type of player like they used to. Um, I do believe that he could get drafted or, you know, maybe get signed post draft. But to me, I do think it's in his best interest, not or in his best interest to return, not to mention it's got a sting, man, going out the way he did. I'm sure he has that feeling of unfinished business. So fortunately for Purdue fans and unfortunately for him, I just don't see the value for him in the NBA like he once would have had. So I, my my gut is telling me he'll be back, but I'm not going to get my hopes up. That being said, that'll take me into the departures. And the only really key departure that I could come up with is David Jenkins Jr., uh, obviously, he played his last season at elig- eligibility with us after transferring to the Boilermakers this season. And as of right now, as you and I are sitting here talking, there has been no Boilermakers that have elected to enter the transfer portal. So that's pretty pretty significant. Hopefully, we can keep it that way. Yeah. A couple of the key arrivals, and they're not so much rival as teams that will be coming off their shirt where, or their season where they redshirted. So the first one I want to talk about is the four-star small forward Camden Hyde. He redshirted this season. He's six foot five, and he was a number one recruit out of Minnesota in 2022. And in high school, he shot over 40% from three, which is significant because, again, one of our biggest Achilles heel this season was the inability to knock down those shots. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next one I want to mention, and this would be more significant if Zach E does, in fact, decide to leave the program is Will Berg, and he's just the next edition of the big men down in West Lafayette at seven foot two, much like Camden Hyde. He had his red shirt season this year, but he comes out of Sweden where he was a member of their under 16 and under 18 national team. And his development, like I said, will be important, especially with the uncertainty surrounding Zach Eady. And then just to throw out a a couple of key returning players. So, Obviously, you have the freshman guards who will be sophomores, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. 
So that's going to be a big headline to watch to see how they developed. And I mentioned last week that I believe a lot of what Matt Painter's future looks like comes off of what these two young individuals can do. And then I also look at guys like Mason Gillis and Ethan Ethan Morton, who will be seniors next season. So I'm interested to see what kind of leadership roles they take over. Are any of these storylines something that stands out to you, Adam? Well, I was just I was trying to actually find research on some of the other Purdue centers to see where they were coming from. But you have right now Edie, who has a history out of Canada, and Berg is another center that comes from a foreign country. And I feel like Purdue has had a trend where they go outside the box to recruit whoever they get at that center position. Yeah, and the fact that they've earned that nickname, you know, Big Man University, a lot of these foreign guys who maybe aren't quite as good to play professional overseas, they do one of the first schools they look at when going through these recruiting classes is Purdue. And so, again, you know, Purdue may not always get the best man, but they always get the biggest men. That's true. That's about all I have this week for Purdue. I know we're kind of running short on time already, but before we get out of college basketball already, I figured it'd be kind of fun if we looked at the final four. So you obviously you got Florida Atlantic, Miami, um, help me out here, FD or FAU, I apologize, and, and San Diego State. So if you're having any problems deciding who you want to win, because I'm assuming everybody's final four is completely busted based on their brackets. I figured it'd be fun if we looked at some of the ties that some of these players and teams have to the state of Indiana, if that's all right with you, Adam. That's fine with me. Go right ahead and jump in. All right, so we'll start with Florida Atlantic. They have a sophomore guard named John L. Davis, who's from Gary, Indiana. In high school, he averaged over 31 points per game at the 21st Century Charter School in Gary. And then more significant, more so to you and other Hoosiers fans, Adam. Oh, yeah. Head coach Dusty May is an Indiana graduate and served as a student manager under the great Bob Knight. Pretty strong Hoosier ties there. And then, I'm sorry, this one's still a bit of a, a sour one for you, but Miami, yeah. their sophomore guard, Nigel Pack, is from Indianapolis, Indiana. He graduated from Lawrence Central High School. And this I found to be pretty interesting. He signed a two-year $800,000 NIL deal to transfer from Kansas State to Miami. Talk about getting paid at the college level. And it's it's not hard to understand why. He absolutely lit it up against us in that game. Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to throw those out there in case anyone needed help picking on who they wanted to win, or maybe you don't care like I do because you're still a little upset that your team lost to a 16 seed, but I digress. I'm I'm picking Florida Atlantic as the team. I'd like to win the rest of the way, but I ultimately think it now comes down to UConn because they are the only of the four remaining teams with championship-based experience. Maybe not the same coaching staff, but history has a way of repeating itself. So Real quick before we move on to some Pacers talk, as far as Florida Atlantic go, I thought this was pretty interesting. This season, they have achieved their first ever tournament win their first ever Sweet 16 appearance, their first ever Elite 8 appearance, obviously their first ever Final Four appearance. Pretty crazy for a team that had not had any success at this level making a run to the Final Fours. So if I were to pick, which I'm not going to because I don't really care, I guess it would be Florida Atlantic. Don't worry. He'll care soon. I'll, I'll get him. 
college <laughs> basketball. But all right, let's jump into our last major topic. And we actually kept this one a lot shorter than I thought we were going to. But let's go ahead and talk about the week that the Indiana Pacers had. So last week I mentioned they had 11 games to go and they had a four game slate this week. And so as we mentioned last week, the Pacers needed to kind of figure out what their identity was going to be. Are they going to win out? Are you trying to lose the majority? And this week, I think they finally made the decision that they're going to take the tanking approach. I don't know if they made that decision, but the decision was made one way or another when they started losing again. I I think they've made the decision, personal biases. But I can also understand why. Because realistically, next year, I think that they're a playoff team. And I'm I'm going to boldly say it now. If I'm wrong, oh well. But anyway... The first game of the week I thought was the most winnable game that they were going to play, and yet they still managed to lose it. So they went and faced the Charlotte Hornets, where they lost by a final count of 115 to 109. So again, the Pacers actually outshot the Hornets by percentages, both interior and on the three-point line, and actually out-rebounded them by 11. I've talked about this being you know, an indicator of winning before, and it is not usually a stat that the Pacers win in when they face teams. Yet, they still managed to lose. And so, that downfall, Joey, was the result of 22 team turnovers. 22. Sounds like a Purdue stat line when they play as 16 seed. Absolutely. So, again, Pacers cannot win games doing that. And, again, I don't think the team made any excuses for themselves after, but... I thought that this statistic was crazy about that game, and it's why I'm mentioning it. So the Pacers at the end of the first quarter had outscored them by a count of 40 to 22. So the Pacers scored 40 in the first quarter without Tyrese Halliburton still in the game. Again, that kind of floors me a little bit. Like, And then you get outscored in every quarter after by quite big margins. If you ask me, that's really a story of the season. You've seen flashes of this team being really good. And you've also seen flashes of this team being not so good. And unfortunately for Pacers fans around the world, you got to see both versions of this team in this game. And and this game really is the story or is the beginning of the two stories of how the season has gone. Play really well, suck at the end of games. But again, that game, not anything really to jump out home too much about miles turner had a solid game with 20 points seven rebounds and five assists but he healed contributed 20 points and four rebounds benedict mathurin had 18 points and isaiah jackson who is a name i'm going to mention a couple times tonight had 12 points and 10 rebounds for a, a double double so pretty solid game from him but they then jumped in a couple days later and they faced the toronto raptors which again I said that all of the games were away this past week, which I knew was going to be a big indicator of whether they'd win. But that was the only game they won for the week. It was against the Raptors. Now, they won that game by a final score of 118 to 114. Now, this game, I'm not going to talk so much about the scores, but there's some really cool aspects. So, Andrew Nebhard was the story of this game, and he had 25 points and 10 assists. And he continues to do well without Tyrese Halliburton. Again, I, I, I've said before, I think TJ McConnell is tradable. I had an article about six months ago that I wrote where I thought McConnell could be dealt. McConnell's still a great guard, but you have a rookie guard that is coming in 
and putting up numbers like this on a semi-regular basis. You know, he's right up there in talent level with Halliburton. And, you know, for a Pacers team that normally doesn't strike it well on draft picks, especially in the second round, Nebhardt has been a very nice, solid draft pick for this team. Now, Miles Turner, he had 16 points in that game with seven rebounds. Benedict Mathurin had 15 points and two rebounds. Now, here's where the cool stat lines come in. So Toronto was actually celebrating like a Canadian night in Toronto. And so the Pacers decided in that game to start Benedict Mathurin, who is from Canada, O'Shea Brissett, who is from Canada, and of course, Andrew Nebhard, who is from Canada. So there is a stat line that Obviously, this is Nebhard's first game ever playing in Canada. So, again, I think that homecoming sort of motivated him. But with Mathurin, Brissett, and Nebhard starting, since the stat of Canadian players being in NBA games has been kept since the 1970 and 71 season, this was the first time that an NBA team has ever started three Canadians on one starting lineup since it has been recorded. Pretty special too that as you mentioned, it took place in Toronto, Canada, which makes it even more special, especially for those three and their families. Absolutely to see that. You know, nice to have it played so close to home. But obviously, Toronto barely came out losing in this game. But the big reason that they lost was they went seven of thirty-four from the three-point line. Joey, I don't know if you know what that statistic is, but it's about 22% that they made. Again, sounds like a stat line Purdue would put up against a 16 seed. So again, lucky win for the Pacers. Now, at that point in the week, they were only two games out of the play-in. But as I mentioned, Pacers only won one game this week, and it was that one. So the, the game ends with two consecutive losses. Now, the Boston Celtics game that they played a couple days later, nothing too big to write home about. That final score was 120 to 95, so a 25 point loss, typical Pacers fashion to lose big against Boston. So, again, in that game, Tyrese Halliburton did make his return, and he had a nice solid 20.6 rebounds and nine assists. Turner had 20 points and six rebounds, and Isaiah Jackson had 12 points and six rebounds. McConnell also scored 10, and Buddy Heald had eight rebounds. Now, that game, the Pacers went 46% on field goals, but they went four of 26 on threes. We want to talk about what Toronto did the game before. (laughs) Joey, that makes a cool 15.4% that the Pacers made from the three-point line. Yes, I love how you word that. Very cool 15.4%. It was very cool that they did that and couldn't make any shots. (laughs) And again, with that game, they also went 59% from the foul line, 15 to 22 for them. So, again, you you want to beat teams that are playoff bound. I think that's the game that kind of becomes the question of can the Pacers succeed in the playoffs this year? Losing to Boston by that much with a lot of their starters out on the bench, the answer is no. But finally, the end of the week, the Pacers had another loss <laughs> – to Atlanta, and they scored 130 in that game. So, again, pretty big game, but they lost by a count of 143 to 130. So, again, a high-scoring game. That is a very high-scoring game. Now, 
while the result was disappointing, there were some key highlights and key things for why this game was important. So Jordan Noria, who I've come to love to pick on this season, again, I don't think I can pick on him anymore after this performance. So again, he had 25 points in the first quarter. It is a franchise record. Now, Joey, we talked about this earlier in the week, thinking about who might own the Pacers record for in a quarter. So again, Pacers players, who did you mention to me? Do you remember? Yeah, I threw out guys like George Hill and Danny Granger. I thought you said Reggie Miller. I'm sure I did too. <laughs> but but when I was looking up the name, the name surprised me. Mike Dunleavy Jr. owns the Pacers record regular season with <laughs> or owned, I should say, with 24 points, which came back in 2010. Back That's not a name I've days. heard in a while. I know, which is why when I saw it, I was very shocked by this. Now, those were the real days of struggles for the Pacers. You had just traded away your team, pretty much Al Harrington and Steven Jackson and a lot of good players. Yeah. But since you did mention Reggie Wayne, I did want to mention that he does own the playoff record with 25 points in a quarter which came during a little game five from the 1994 season against the New York Knicks. Any reason why that game would sound significant to you? No, nothing important happened in that game. Nothing. Nothing at all, huh? Nope, nothing. Definitely wasn't a lot of points scored in a certain amount of seconds or anything. Yeah, you know, which is still a record in the NBA to this point. But That does make me feel a little bit justified, though. I know so, Jordan Nuora and Mike Dunleavy are not the names I would have expected, but I'm glad Reggie Miller did have that statistic in a single quarter. That makes everything seem a little bit more right in the world. And against the New York Knicks, who I love to hate too. But going into kind of finishing up, wrapping up that game real quick before I talk about the real highlights that came from that game, Noria finished with 33 points on in six rebounds on five for five from the free throw line, which four of those four, or four of those five were made in the quarter that he got the 25 points. Halliburton had 19 points and 13 rebounds, pretty solid game. Buddy Heald came back and had a nice solid game, 16 points, four rebounds and five assists. Isaiah Jackson came back and had 14 points and five rebounds. Now, other than Benedict Mathurin, who had four points, and Chris Darte, everybody else scored in double figures. So, again, pretty solid game from the whole team. Now, let's talk about the real highlights. You ready for this? So, yes. again, the Pacers, we kind of talked about their identity of needing to win and lose. And so, since the losing approach happened and they played it off the right way and lost just enough games, with the final loss this week, the Pacers officially locked up Boston's first round pick for the upcoming draft. So was really, there was never really a doubt on that one, but again, you just never know. So again, getting that for the Brogdon trade, you know, helps that grade out a little bit better in my mind. And then obviously the Pacers are so good now that Joey, with them being officially under 500, they have four games to play this week. Three of them are away. They face the Mavericks tonight away, Milwaukee away, the Pistons away, and then they face, or sorry, they face Milwaukee or the Mavericks, Milwaukee, 
and Oklahoma City away or at home and then the Cav- Cavaliers away. 0-4 seemed likely with Halliburton's return this week with them kind of taking the losing side of things. If I were a Pacer fan, I would hope that it's 0-4, but I don't know. OKC isn't all that great. I don't know what, if anything, the Mavs and Milwaukee will have to play for in the final days of the season. Do I think it's likely? Uh, I got to I gotta think that the Pacers screw it up and find a way to win at least one of those games. So which game do you think is most likely a win uh, in your mind? Probably the Thunder, obviously. I know that's a team that really struggles. I will say... The Pacers should have listened to us, well, mainly me, because he was on the other end of the fence, when I said they needed to start losing more way back at the trade deadline, but I digress. Yes, and I want to make an apology for something. I realized that the Mavericks, Milwaukee, and, and Oklahoma City play at home, not away. I think I said away for all four of those games. Yeah. But and are you only... sure that it's not the Pistons away? I'm, I thought I saw that they played the Pistons the final week. No, because... We talked last week on the podcast about how they finished up their regular season against Detroit last week because they had two consecutive games against them, and that and those are games where you only face the team four times a year. So that being said, too, Pacers most likely win in my mind is Oklahoma City. I agree with that as well. I would like to see the team personally lose out. I know that's pretty deflating, but I was looking up ticket costs for those games earlier. And most of those games have ticket prices starting at seven to $9. Also April 7th at 7 PM, Indiana Pacers versus Detroit Pistons and Indianapolis. All right. So maybe it's five games. Now that I have corrected you there and I can pat myself on the back once again, Adam, would you like to move on to verse of the week? Yes, but I will point out that that game against Detroit is not until next week. So I'm still okay. Now, Verse of the week, I've alluded the last couple of weeks on here that I have been sick. And so I decided to find a sickness quote for this week about healing. And so my quote this week comes from Jeremiah 17, 14. And it says, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are the one that I praise. I think a lot of times when we get sick, we kind of forget who is supposed to heal us. We kind of have our own self-pity and feel sorry for ourselves. But again, I was praying for kind of to heal because this is one of the worst sicknesses I've ever gone through. I wish this on no person ever. And again, again, healing and being sick is only temporary, but someday we're going to be healed and we're going to be saved as long as we make sure that we praise God. Absolutely, so I'm reminded of that heading into this week. And while while you focus more on the heal me aspect of this verse, I just wanted to say one thing about the save me and I will be saved. It, a lot of people think it's not that easy, is it? You know, I do this wrong in life and I'm not a good person. At the end of the day, it is that easy. Call on the Lord to save you and you will be saved. You know, you heard you hear the phrase all the time. You don't go to the hospital when you're or you don't go to the hospital if you're not sick. So the same thing applies here. You go to the you you go to the savior because you need saved. And absolutely it really is that easy, you know. Don't get so caught up in all the things you do wrong in life because it's after you get saved that you will no longer have the desire to do some of those things. But I do enjoy that verse and I am glad that you are feeling better, Adam. I was feeling bad for you. Well, I know I, I was basically I've missed 
a day or two of work because of it. I've kind of been lousing around at home. I know my own boys have been sick, but they're kind of starting to hit the fence of being better. Cause I'm going to be honest. I don't, I haven't stepped outside since Friday, just to give you an idea. <laughs> I've been sitting in my house. Like I actually had to take some steps today to take the trash out. And I didn't realize how warm it had probably gotten. I don't know if it's been warm. I don't know if it's been sunny. I I've had no clue, but I'm going to definitely use this week to utilize my chances of getting back outdoors and making sure I am fully well. And I'm, yeah, and I'm glad that it. you have a little bit of time off of work now so you can continue to rehab from your illness. We also have a pretty big trip coming up this weekend, but we can share more about that next week. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed. Until next week, you can find us at HoosierStateSports.com or Hoosier State Sports on Facebook. But until next week, God bless. And have a good week.